Hey everyone, welcome to episode 103 of Medusa's Cascade Collateral Damage in the first arc episode. I'm your friendly neighborhood DM, Tom. I've got a few things to cover before we get into the speed run of the first seven episodes of the campaign. First and foremost, thank you for sticking with us for 102 episodes. It's been crazy that we're this far, and I'm glad that you're sticking with us. Uh, second, we are going to be switching to a bi-weekly format that is uh, going to probably help out with this actual play that we're, we're currently doing here. So, not next week, but the week after, the second ARC episode will be released. It will cover episodes 8 through 15. This is where things start to get a little spicy. Not that this isn't a little spicy to begin with. Uh, this is for logistical reasons and for some mental health reasons as well. Uh, on the bright side, though, we will be premiering some new content starting at the beginning of the upcoming year. So in 2023, keep a lookout for that. Third, if you have the opportunity, please check out our social media accounts on most major platforms. Just search for the Medusa's Cascade on the platform and give us a follow. We'll have the art and animatics from early phases of the animation project that has spawned from this campaign. Some cool stuff and worth your time checking out. Finally, if you're listening on a streaming platform, especially Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it does help to get the podcast out there for other people to discover, and we would all appreciate the love and support. And without further ado, let's jump into uh, the first ARC episode, Terms of Service. begins with seven strangers. Argyle, a tiefling rogue searching for his mother and a member of the Masterful Gains Guild. Galad Loriel, a wood elf cleric of the Arcana Domain searching for her parents and a follower of the Protector. Caleb, a water genasi blood hunter with a mysterious past and dark pastimes. Kyver Sabretooth, a tabaxi rogue with a hatred for humans and a member of the Royal Vagabonds. Shanks McNasty, an Eldrin wild elf fighter, trying to start over, and a former member of the Hell Riders. Weaqua, a water genasi, circle of the shepherd druid, and a recluse looking to fulfill his father's final wish. And Zex Kushernata, a tabaxi ranger trying to recover his childhood memories, and a member of the Shuffle Guild. 
These seven receive a mysterious card with a Medusa's head symbol on one side and a number on the other, each of them on their separate paths and spread across several planes of existence. As each of them read the card, they are instantaneously transported to an open field with a small building sitting in the middle of it. Unsure of where they are and who they are with, the group of strangers cautiously make their way towards the building. As they approach, they all notice a circular wooden sign hanging outside the structure with the same Medusa's head imprint on the card they each received. They enter what appears to be a tavern that is bigger on the inside. A half-orc who introduces themselves as Cyric greets them from behind the bar. Chanks is seated in the corner as the rest of the group enters. As they all cautiously take their seats within the tavern, a lanky human man bursts into the room and reveals that he is the one who sent them each their cards. His name is the Journeyman, and he is a contractor of sorts. The job he's offering requires a combination of talents he feels this particular group has. After many questions about payment, his powers, and his intentions, he informs them that the number on the card is the sum that they will be paid if they complete their mission. Their mission? To take a path through the forest to a village on the other side, just outside the cursed valley of Barovia. The forest is supposedly infected with zombies and other undead creatures. They agree and enter the forest. After an arduous battle with a small enclave of zombies, they vanquished their foes and rested for the evening. The party awakes in the forest to find that their companion Shanks has disappeared, but they continue down the wooded path toward the village on the other side. There is some teasing from Kyver and Argyle towards Gadalorio, glad as she will now be known moving forward. For her love of nature and trees, this is a running joke, or quite a bit of it. Walking into town, they notice a peculiar sight. The tavern that they embarked on the day before had somehow traveled to the other side of the forest. The majority of the party heads to the tavern, while Glad and Caleb make their way to the temple in the center of town. It is here that they meet me, a Goliath paladin named Galahad, a follower of the Platinum Dragon, who is knee-deep in old homes and scrolls, as, as I would do. After a short conversation about my research on my oath, the oath of conquest, burned into my arm, Glad invites Galahad to join them at the tavern. After the three finish their meditation, prayer, and research, they make their way over to the tavern. They walk in to find that another stranger has joined the group, the Kenku artificer Atros, a dark, mysterious figure with a strange symbol on his cloak, who only speaks aloud in Edgar Allan Poe quotes. A long conversation goes on between the group and the journeyman where he tries to assuage everyone's doubts. He tells them that they don't need to worry. Uh, not only does he have the money promised to everyone, but they've passed their first real test and their next mission will be walking through the door at any second. At this point in the conversation, a messenger uh, from the village of Barovia bursts in requesting the party's presence at the behest of the Burgomeister. The party is a bit taken aback. The journeyman explains that he needs them to help him take care of the plague in the Valley of Barovia, and in return, 
He will help the party with each of their quests. Most are a bit incredulous at this offer, as they have not told anyone, not even the other members of their new party, what they're actually looking to accomplish. The journeyman tells them that he knows what each of them is seeking, and begins to very vaguely list each person's future goals. He again reiterates that if the party is successful in helping him free the Valley of Barovia, he will help them with their crusades. The party accepts the mission and sets off to the apothecary and blacksmith for supplies needed in their travel. Zex makes a custom order on a bow that has blades attached to it. Galahad makes a deal that if they come back alive and save Barovia, the smith will give him a free suit of plate armor. The group then makes their way into the mists of the forest and is ambushed by another horde of zombies. After the battle and fighting, both with the zombies and with each other, they successfully defeat their foes. The party continues through the mists until they happen upon a Vasanti camp in the middle of the forest. There is a rocky start to their stay there, but the tension soon lessens and they are invited into the large tent of the camp where they meet with the matriarch, Madame Eva. There, they are given a tarot card reading in which the path to success was laid out for them. Zex is the last party member to leave the tent asking Madame Eva if she can do a reading for him. He explains that he does not have any recollection of his past up until his 16th birthday. She tells him, You have a dark and shadowed past, dark and winding like the path you're currently traveling. To find what you're looking for, you must conquer the foe within yourself. I'm not speaking like she did. While the rest of the party either heads to sleep or makes friends with the travelers, Kyver, <sighs> fucking Kyver, decides to try and rob the camp. He is successful to a point until he got greedy. So his cloak catches on a stray nail and he face plants, scattering the objects of his plunder all over the ground and waking up the entire camp. A fight almost breaks out between Vistani and the party until Atros comes to the rescue with a set of manacles and a high persuasion to let the party leave with their lives. So instead of a long rest, they must continue through the mist-choked forest. Wandering through the fog and mist, after just escaping with their lives uh, from the Vistani camp, they reach eroded gates, marking the beginning of the realm of Barovia. Through the fog, they hear a resounding, Yer! Uh, and upon cautious uh, approach, they find that Shanks is there to meet them and rejoin the party. In the slight bit of confusion surrounding their allies' return, Kyver slips his bonds, only to have Zex manacle himself to him. Uh, the party then continues traveling through the woods, uh, spotting a dancing light in the mist that is identified as a will-o'-wisp. Despite protest from Kyver, they follow the light to a derelict tower with a single chest inside. The party fans out and places itself in tactical positions inside and at the entrance of the tower. Argyle makes his way in to pick the lock, and with very little trouble, he is successful. Uh, he also makes a remark to Kyver about how things should be done. Uh, Galahad follows behind, and with his longsword, he opens the chest. The ground underneath the party shakes, and zombies burst from under their feet. A battle ensues, with the party beginning to show signs 
of working together. Galahad smites the undead, we aqua wild shapes into a panther, and the tabaxi fight side by side, still chained together. Argal deftly makes his way through the fight, picking off wounded enemies, while Shanks and Atros sit at the entrance, taking pot shots with their bows and eldritch cannons. Caleb sticks to the back, out of harm's way, while Glad prowls through the horde, dropping enemies as she goes. After a hard-fought battle, with several one-shot kills by Glad, they finally make their way out of the forest and into a clearing. Ahead, they enter the village of Barovia. A cry of a blood hawk is heard in the distance. It swoops down to Zex and is a gift from his mentor, Argo. The offering of Argo's trusty hunting companion, Zex introduces the party to Duo. While making this introduction, Shank slips back into the forest with the party only noticing a bit later. The party makes their way into Barovia and finds the local tavern, an inn called Blood of the Vine. There they meet the Burgermeister's son, who not only pays for their room and board, but sets up a meeting with his father for the following day. The party then slowly disperses through the evening to their rooms while talking about their backgrounds and reasons for adventuring. Kyver passes out drunk on his table, and Atros decides that it would, it would be a solid idea to chain him to the table and take the key with him. As the evening comes to a close, I have a dream in which my deity, Bahamut, the Platinum Dragon, speaks with me and warns that violence should only be used as a last resort. As the party arises from their night's rest, they split into more minor factions. Uh, Argyle uh, and Zex stay behind to pick on Kyver as he makes several attempts to escape the chains given to him by Atros. Galahad, Atros, Glad, and Weaqua leave almost immediately after breakfast to search the town for supplies while waiting for their midday meeting with the Burgermeister at his family's estate. Before leaving, Kyver, who is still chained to the table, uh, asks Galahad to uh, help him out of his chains. Galahad responds by destroying the table without relieving Kyver of his bonds. Uh, with Zex and Argyle chuckling about uh, the state of Kyver, the other four make their way out of the tavern towards the mercantile. The proprietor of this establishment, Bill Darth, has few in selection, but outrageous prices. The group questions him on why his prices are so high, and they find that he is the only game in town. Since no new items can be brought into the realm of Barovia, trade has stagnated, and since demand is only when adventurers like them wander in, he must capitalize when he sees the chance. The four balk at this and tell him he can fuck off. They leave the store as Zex and Argyle make their way towards it. The group exchange pleasantries and and the two are informed of the crazy high prices. They acknowledge this and make their way inside. Galahad, Atros, Glad, and Weaqua make their way into a barely populated village to see about talking to the locals for more about what's happening here. Meanwhile, back at the merchant, Zex runs interference for Argyle, who manages to steal a health potion from the 
unsuspecting shop owner. Atro splits off from the group while the other three go to investigate the sound of weeping in a nearby house. He investigates an abandoned building and soon finds himself in a battle for his life with several swarms of rats. Glad and Weakwa and myself find the source of the weeping on the second floor where Bailey lived in house. It is a mother weeping over an old stuffed bear. She tells them that her daughter has been taken by Strahd and she is scared that she will never see her again. We ask her who Strahd is and she looks at that and she looks at us as if we were crazy. She refuses to talk about Strahd and she feels it will call him back to our residence. It's at this moment that we hear a loud thunderclap from nearby and rush toward the sound. This scene we come upon is that of Atros laying unconscious on the floor with swarms of rats starting to gnaw at him. The three of us quickly jump into action and save our fallen comrade. Meanwhile, Kyver finally escapes his bonds and makes his way across town to a slightly run-down house. Most of the village is seemingly abandoned save for the house at the end of the avenue. Standing outside are a boy and a girl that caution him that there is a monster in the basement. From outside, Kyver can hear the sound of a baby crying. Not really a huge fan of humans in general, Kyver tries to physically accost or move them aside, but is pretty much unsuccessful in doing so. Regardless, though, he makes his way into the house's double doors where he finds wide halls that are the width of the house. Uh, On one end, there is a black marble fireplace and a red staircase on the other. Uh, Mounted on the wall uh, over the fireplace is a sword as well as several ornamental suits of iron black plate armor. This is a place that was once wealthy and there may be valuables to be found. Kyver searches the house, uh, taking the sword into the main hallway, and then he cartoonishly looks for more things to ransack, only to find himself flat on his ass with a curtain on top of him. He tried to climb the drapes. It was pretty funny when it happened, actually. (laughs) Uh, Making his way to the second floor, he finds a library slash study where he steals what he perceives to be the most expensive book there. The rest of the team meet up at the house that Atros almost died in. The sound of thunder rolls through the small village, and the group sees the Medusa's cascade appear before them. They witness a quick exchange between the journeyman and Shanks before Shanks is thrust forward with the door closing behind him. Shanks looks around and realizes that Kyver is missing. Shanks looks at Zex and asks him, Where's your boy? Zex replies, We may look alike, but he's not my people. Argyle quips. Can he even survive without us? Using Weakwa's locate object spell on Kyver's gold, they manage to find him at the rundown house. The two kids inform them of the monster in their basement and the baby on the top floor. The group asks the children if they have seen Kyver. The children inform them that someone fitting the description did go into the house after almost kicking the brother of the two. Algal makes a quip about Kyver not having good aim. He missed? Yup, that's Kyver. The group, led by myself, decides to help the children. They'll make their way into the house, baby first, then deal with the monster in the basement, and hopefully find Kyver along the way. Sex asks Galahad if he could take the lead because of his collapsible pole. There are lots of ten-foot pole jokes ensue, uh, making their way... Uh, 
to the second floor, they find Kyver in the library slash study. After reprimanding him for leaving the group, even though they left him behind in the tavern, irony there, uh, he asks Glad about the book that he found in hopes that he retrieved something valuable. Sholem, in a passive, aggressive, sarcastic way, uh, why would I tell you even if I knew? The baby's cries continue to pierce through the air. Glad and Shanks encourage the group to continue following the sound of the baby crying. They follow the sound of the crying to the third floor staircase, and once they are up there on that third floor, they are met with an animated suit of armor in which they do battle with. After defeating the armor, the group explores the rest of the floors, gaining loot and finding secret stairwells leading up to the attic. In the attic, they find a door. The team broke the door, only to find out later that Kyver had the key the whole time. Once the door is broken down, the sounds of crying stop. There, inside the room, are the remains of two small children. After investigating, Zex finds a replica of the house that they're currently in, about the same size as a dollhouse. They realize that the skeletons on the floor have the same clothing as the children that they had spoken to outside. The ghosts of the children appear and inform them of a passageway leading to the basement. Zex and Argau are then possessed by the two children. Zex manages to escape possession, but the little boy possessing Argau needs convincing. Galahad tries to convince the boy child to release Argyle. I know you're feeling scared, but we need our friend to defeat this monster. Argyle's convulsing body sh- uh, shuffles to the dollhouse where he picks up the boy doll. The ghost of the girl child goes over to Argyle and places her hand on him to console him. She informs the group that their names are Thorn and Rose. Shanks convinces Thorn to release Argyle. Hey Rose, would it be possible if Thorn can release our friends so we can fight this monster? And then we'll bring him right back when we're done. And then we can play. A small spectral orb comes out of Argyle's chest, and Thorn appears in front of Argyle. Thorn hides behind Rose timidly. Rose asks to come with them. Zex agrees, as long as they don't possess them anymore. Argyle snarls at Thorn, who shakes a little. Argyle convinces Kyver to join them using some newfound gold that Atros came across. Hey, Fluth, get up here. The bird has three gold rings. I know you want them. Kyver replies to him. What's with your face? You look like you've seen a ghost. Ah, stupid kid possessed me, Argyle laments. You want me to kick him? Kyver asks. Rose gives Kyber a death glare, making his first stand up on end. While heading downstairs, they hear disembodied voices and chanting. Glad starts to cast calm motions to help ease the children's mind as well as her own. From the edges of the room, they enter into a dining area. A serpent-like monster known as a Grick appears, and the party makes quick work of it. The party continues forward out of the dining area, and Kyber and Zex argue about which room they should go in. Zex is concerned about the dangers that might be at work in the house. Kyver teases him, saying, 
let's just go uh, into the kumbaya room and then hope for the best. Zex comments on how Kyver just has a way of getting under everyone's skin. And Atros, tired of the bickering, flips the bird to both of them. Argyle, however, encourages them to continue following the chanting. Uh, it's not long after this that they encounter ghouls in the cramped corridors leading out of the dining area. While the party begins to make progress and downs most of the ghouls, Weaqua breaks away from the group to scout ahead and is attacked by a mimic disguised as a door. Zex follows Weaqua is able to help him back to consciousness until the rest of the party can defeat the ghouls and the mimic. With the ghouls defeated and Weaqua saved, the party takes a short rest to regroup. Continuing inside the house, the team splits up. Following the west side of the hall, they find another room. There, a broken bed and a footlocker. Galahad attempts to open the footlocker, but he and half of the party are attacked by ghasts. Uh, a ghast slashes at Galahad, piercing his armor uh, straight to the skin, but because of his stone's endurance, uh, the attack really has no effect. A glow emits from his chest, and the wound heals instantly. Another ghoul takes a swing at Glad, but she swiftly moves out of its way. She notices a cold spot on the wall, but focuses her, focuses her attention more on the ghasts. Uh, meanwhile, Kyver goes through the entryway, guarded by the mimic that's on the opposite side of the hallway, and uh, finds a statue holding a crystal ball. Atros follows behind Kyver to keep an eye on the situation, not wanting to leave the rest of the party being attacked by the ghasts. Back on the other side of the hallway, Argyle bursts into the room to help his friends fight the ghasts. They are unfazed by both Argyle and Glad's attacks. Blackened claws rip into them. Zex sees Atros running down the hall and follows. Kyver takes a deeper investigation at the statue holding the crystal and decides to keep a safe distance. Shanks then sees a claw come out at Argyle and uses his archery expertise to trick shot a kill on the creature. Weakwa watches in amazement and yells, Ricochet, you take your aim, fire away, fire away. The arrow bounces from the floor and ricochets between Galahad's legs, almost hitting his crotch. Unfortunately, he is a bit too late and Argyle is struck by the creature, becoming paralyzed. Glad summons a spiritual weapon, a scepter with a blue gem, and attacks one of her enemies. While Argyle is paralyzed, uh, Galahad thinks about moving him uh, out of the way, but instead makes an attack at the same enemy that Glad hits. Galahad and the creature exchange swings and misses, but with the creatures distracted, Weaqua drags Argyle out of the room to safety. It doesn't come without consequence as a ghast scratches him upon his exit. In typical Weaqua fashion, they compliment the creature on its attack. This is accurate. Uh, in the statue room, uh, Atros uses Ray of Frost on the skeletons on the wall just to be sure that they won't animate, and the three of them walk to the statue. Kyver picks up the orb, and five shadows appear from the walls. Three of the creatures attack Kyver, and he quickly goes unconscious. Zex advances and sinks his blade into one of the shadows. 
On the opposite side of the hall, Shanks continues to attack the gas from a distance, trying to keep the creature off of his companions. He is not as successful as he would like, as Galahad takes a vicious attack and falls unconscious. Zex is successful in killing one of the shadows, placing Hunter's mark on another, and attempts to throw acid at another, but misses. Jumping back over to the opposite side with a continual onslaught of arrows from Shanks, Glad uses her amulet to enhance her spiritual weapon and continues the attack on the undead creatures. In the stature room, the shadows move closer to Zex, Kyber, and Atros. Uh, as they advance, Zex picks off another one with his bow. Atro uses the spell Thunderclap to push them back and destroy two others advancing from behind. Uh, the, the two remaining shadow creatures attack Zex and Atros, luckily both missing. Wiakra races into the room from the opposite side of the hall to find Kyver unconscious and attacks one with primal savagery, killing it. And then they use... Uh, healing word to heal Kyver and bring him back from the brink of death and he was pretty damn close uh, with the final blow from Zex the shadows are destroyed back with the rest of the group Shank shoots and destroys one of the gas while Glad uses magic missile to dispose of the other one Argyle's paralysis ends and Galahad is healed the team looks through the locker finding various valuables meanwhile with Atros Weaqua and Zex, the orb rolls across the floor towards Weaqua as the dust settles. We uses a cloth to pick up the orb and gives it to Kyver. Kyver splits off from the group, a bit embarrassed, while the rest of the party rests together. Weaqua goes to Kyver. They have a short conversation about what just happened. And Weaqua tells Kyver not to worry because he cares and wants to help him. Just then, the chanting begins to pick up, and they both realize that they know where it is coming from, further down into the basement. After their rest, the group heads down further and further into the basement towards the chanting. He is ancient. He is the land, echoes through the staircase and the chamber below. They enter what looks like a room of relics and alcoves all over the walls. Glad turns to Kyver. Don't touch anything. And Atros flares a ray of frost in his hand to ensure that he doesn't. Zex decides to move in and observe the relics in case they might have some relevance, but he can tell that they're just useless. Uh... Shanks and Weaqua snoop around and find jail cells, as well as a secret door within one. Galahad, using his divine sense uh, to see if there's anything behind the door, can't really sense anything concrete, but there is definitely a feeling that there is something behind the door. Just before they open the secret door, Galahad sees something shiny. Being paranoid, the group checks carefully, and for me, when they're paranoid, that's the best, because... Uh, then they're actually paying attention. Uh, it turns out to be a gold ring on a corpse. Uh, so Shanks grabs it. You grave robber, Argyle jokes. Shanks ignores him and uses a lever within the wall, opening a door and revealing a 40-foot room with a small moat built in. Rusty chains hang from the ceiling and a stone altar stained with blood is on the dais towards the back of the room. As they walk in, the chanting 
abruptly stops. Zex takes his pole, makes a joke, and uses it to measure how deep the water is. He figures about five feet. Glad jumps into the water and makes her way onto the dais with the party in tow. When she reaches the dais, 13 hooded, cloaked figures uh, appear and start to chant, One must die. One must die. Confused, the party looks around the room and sees a a mechanism on the wall nearby. Uh, Several of them run over and try to figure out if it will help or create more problems for them. Weaqua sort of follows behind them and they notice that it might just open the gate that's next to it. They continue to look around the room and find a pile of weeds and refuse in one of the corners. Glad. Hey guys. Why don't we just leave? Kyber. The door is open. One must die. One must die. The chanting continues. Who must die? Who must die? We aqua mimics in response. Uh, so the team tries to figure out what the figures truly want and possibly find a loophole. Uh, since they're not planning on sacrificing a member of the party, they brainstorm. Maybe they can use one of the bodies that they already killed. So Shank starts to go back for the skeleton that they passed by. But as he starts to leave, Glad gets off of the dais. As soon as she does, the chanting switches to Lorgoth the Decayer, we awaken thee, and a shambling mound awakens. And Glad looks at the rest of the party and goes, this tree we can kill. The party begins its battle against a mass of rotting plant matter and human remains. They quickly find out that a shambling mound is resistant to all non-magical attacks. The casters of the group begin slinging spells at the creature with urgency. An onslaught of magic and arrows fly across the ritual chamber, resulting in some serious damage to the mound. Part of the way through the fight, a now falling apart shambling mound lets out a discordant roar and summons a second one. The party begins to battle as magic missiles fly and divine smites flash within the chamber. Eventually, the creatures are destroyed, with Kyber firing his kill shot on both. The chanting stops and the hooded figures disappear. They investigate the area to see if there's anything else to deal with, but come up with nothing. Then they make their way upstairs to speak to the kids. Did you kill the monster? Rose asks, with Thorn cowering behind her. Zek speaks up. Oddly enough, uh, the asshole over here killed both of them, and he points to Kyver. So he might not be as bad as we thought. And they look over at Kyver in amazement and think out loud, He did something useful? Uh, Could you do one more thing for us, Rose asks. Could you put our bodies to rest? They're up in the attic and we want to go to sleep. The party agrees and Zex and Galahad retrieve the bodies from the attic. The kids then show them their crypts. They thank them, smile, and disappear. Though they're happy they helped the kids, the party is ready to get the fuck up out of this house. The problems really start as they try to leave. Poison gas begins to surround them, 
Glad, Zex, and Galahad start to cough and take damage. They try to break through the window, but they're bricked up. Natros figures out that the gas is coming out of the fireplace and tries to freeze it with Ray of Frost. It slows down the leak, but isn't successful in stopping it completely. After some investigating, they're able to navigate their way through a trap door that avoids swinging Siths in the doorways. They race through the basement, back to the secret staircase, up to the attic, trapped in the hallway uh, by more swinging blades. Zex dives through the doorway to the children's room in the hopes that the replica house, the dollhouse, will have some clues to get out. Uh, unfortunately, he, he finds out the only way out is through the front door, and in frustration, he smashes it. Uh, out in the hallway, the rest of the party tries to investigate the orb, hoping to find something, but it's just an orb. Uh, they then discover that the doors uh, have a, a pattern to them. The blades have a pattern. Uh, so if they run at the right time, they might be able to go through without getting hit. Without warning, Atros runs through the blades, but doesn't time it right. He is knocked unconscious, but is still alive on the other sides of the swirling Siths. Weaqua speaks up and reminds the team of the chant, One must die. Weaqua sneaks back towards the basement to sacrifice themselves, to save their friends, and Kyber notices and follows. Zex and Galahad see Kyber leave and follow as well. They convince Weaqua to stop, and they return to the group. Galahad uses his size and strength to run through the walls and to get Atros. Galahad is then attacked by rats. He stomps and crushes the rats around him as they pour out of the walls. He pours a potion of health that Glad had given him earlier into Atros's mouth. Glad suggests grabbing a rat to sacrifice. Kyver listens and grabs one uh, and starts to get attacked by them. Uh, having successfully grabbed one, though, he uh, he rushes downstairs to the altar uh, to sacrifice it, but it doesn't seem to have any effect. As the rest of the group comes back down, Weaqua takes their scimitar and s- tries to stab or slice their stomach um, to sacrifice themselves. Zex and Kyver try to stop them. Uh, there is a tense back and forth. This was the first time I'd ever really done competing roles, and it was really... This really like ratcheted up the tension in this whole scene. So there's a, a tense back and forth where the blade switches possession a few times until Zex finally takes the blade and holds Weaqua down using his claws forcibly uh, and then uses cure wounds. Uh, Weaqua doesn't understand why they won't let him do this to save the party. Uh, they inform Weaqua about the brittle walls and that potentially being... Uh, that being the quickest way out without anyone dying so they eventually break through several walls uh continue to fight and kill swarms of rats until they successfully break through the outer walls they are met by the journeyman outside he claps and grins smugly excellent job you guys he looks clean shaven and dressed well well that was fun to watch 
Weakwa looks as if he just figured something out. Wait a minute. Is your name the Journeyman because you travel a lot? There could be something to that, the Journeyman replies. Dude, that is a very specific name. Good thing your parents named you that. Anything else would have been terrible. I know, right? The Journeyman chuckles as he places his hand on Weakwa's shoulder and says, Friend. Friend back, man. Friend back. Weakwa exclaims from Galahad's back. Back at the tavern, JM lets them know that they've missed their meeting with the Burgermeister, but that he can help with that situation. Without really getting into details, JM lets the party know that he has some ability when it comes to bending time and space. He then gives all of the party members uh, two-inch wooden tokens uh, with the t- uh, tavern's insignia on one side and a strange circular writing uh, on the other. Uh, these coins are a direct way to connect to him and the tavern. Uh, if they're in trouble, they can use the token to contact him. However, they're one-time use and will become mundane tokens after the use. Uh, Jan tells them uh, to rest and to ready themselves for the tasks ahead. Shanks asks to talk to the journeyman in private. Weakwa turns himself into a flea to listen to their conversation. The conversation reveals that Shanks was picked up earlier than the rest of the party. He was brought in to lead the group due to his prior military experience. Shanks explains that this group is full of wild cards that do stupid shit at stupid times. The journeyman counters that this is the reason he asked him to come in and lead the party because of those exact reasons. He's capable of doing more than chew things in the junk. Shanks shakes his head in total frustration and makes his way out the door. The journeyman stops him and pulls out an ornate wooden case and presents it to Shanks. It opens to reveal an intricately carved elven longbow. The journeyman explains that this bow is called Mind's Eye, and once he's mastered himself, the bow will be able to make any shot that he sees within his mind's eye. Shanks thanks him and absconds to his quarters. The following morning, the party rises rested and ready to meet the Burgermeister. The journeyman asks what do they think they'll do after they finish with the meeting. The party explains the tarot card reading that they had gotten from the Vasanti camp and how it may lead to a path of success for their mission. At the sound of one in particular, journeyman becomes a little jumpy and decides to give a boost to Shanks' new bow. He then pulls out a wrapped package and gives it to Zex. It is the bow you had custom ordered a few days ago, he says, but with some modifications and additions to it. Zex thanks him profusely and slips him a letter to his mentor, Argo. Shanks rallies the group together one last time before they head out. 
asking them to make a promise to one another, to work together as a team. Now that was a crazy way to start a campaign. It's kind of hard to believe that almost three years ago we started this up as a just-for-fun type of thing. Now there are deep backstories and so many twists and turns, both ahead of us currently in the campaign and behind us as well. So if you have the opportunity, again, uh, please check out our social media accounts on the most of the major platforms. Just search for the Medusa's Cascade on the platform and give us a follow. We'll have art and animatics from the early phases of the animation project that has spawned from this campaign. Some really cool stuff, and I guarantee you it's worth time, your time checking out. Also, if you're listening on a streaming platform, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. It doesn't seem like a lot, but it does help to get the podcast out there for other people to discover, and we all would appreciate the love and support. We'll see you in two weeks for the next episode. Safe travels.